Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. So, I come two weeks ago and done the Father Heart of God, and I got asked to come back and continue talking about the Father Heart of God. So, if you were here two weeks ago when we looked at the Father Heart of God, that is part one of a four-part series on the Father Heart of God, and today we're looking at part two, looking at the Father Heart of God. And if you remember, last time I said that often our view of Father God gets affected by what our view of a human father is like. So if you grew up without a dad, it can sometimes be hard to relate to Father God as the loving father that he really is, because you never had that loving dad in your life. Or if you grew up with a dad that was in your life but just wasn't loving to you, it can sometimes be hard to get in the Bible when you read about God being a father to understand what a loving and wonderful and caring and perfect father he is. Now, even if you grew up with a good dad in the home, and if you still got a good dad in the home right now, because he's not perfect, just like I'm not perfect with my kids, because he's not perfect and he can't love you with perfect love because he's a human being, there still might be some ways in which you're not properly relating to Father God. And so what I said last week was that we need renewing of the mind. Yeah, so we need to be finding out what Scripture says about Father God, and we need to be redefining what a father is in our minds through Scripture. And that way we should relate to Father God better. And like I said with my son, you should want to be sitting next to your dad each morning chatting to him. That's the desire we should have as we find out more about our father. And the more we do that, the more we get our misunderstandings about God corrected. So one example, this morning, right, at the breakfast bar. Okay, I told you about my breakfast bar, yeah. At the breakfast bar, I'm sitting there with my kids. So I'm thinking, I want to chat to them about Jesus this morning. So I say to them, do you know who my best mate is? Who's my best friend? And my three-year-old son goes, bruv. He thought I had a friend called bruv, you know. (laughs) You know, in, in his small understanding, but wonderful understanding, he sees his daddy going around the house with this funny thing stuck on his head. Yeah, his Bluetooth, right, that he calls the earwig. And, and he keeps hearing me say, bruv, 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 bruv. And he's thinking, there's someone who daddy keeps talking to called bruv. And it must be his best friend. And so by talking to my son, I was able to correct that misunderstanding and one, explain what bruv means, and two, explain that my best friend is Jesus. In a similar way, we want to be going to Scripture today so that we get to correct misunderstandings we got about Father God and so that we get to know him better. So to recap, last week, yeah, last, uh, two weeks ago, sorry, when we looked at the Father heart of God, I started off talking about how God the Father relates to Jesus the Son. And we talked about that intra-Trinitarian love. Intra, like the intranet at school or college, yeah, where it's the internet that only goes within, within your organization. It doesn't go outside, okay? So then you've got the Trinity before the worlds began. And within the Trinity, you've got this intra-Trinitarian love that only goes within the Trinity. And we saw how God the Father is not self-centered, but he's other-centered, Because from before even the world was created, he was glorifying the son. It's like he's saying, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's the kind of God father is. Okay, he's not self-centered. Okay, he's giving glory to the son. And then he says, son, I'm going to give you people. Yeah, and he chooses people on the earth to give to his son as a gift. And then at the end, he's like, I'm going to glorify you with me. That's the kind of dad he is with Jesus. And then what we saw as well is in John 17 that Jesus actually prays that in some way we would be linked in to this relationship 
so that we would be in them, just like Jesus is in the Father, okay? So there's a sense in which we get brought into this wonderful intra-Trinitarian relationship, although it doesn't mean we become God, okay? But it's a wonderful thing. It shows what a wonderful Father he is. And then we saw that Father God seeks us out. If you're here today, Father God sought you out. Even if you felt like you made your own way here, it's all because Father has sought you out. And we saw that he's a Father who forgives us and he accepts us. And he's a Father who sees us as very special, as his treasured possession, the apple of of his eye. And he's a Father who adopts us. And he's a Father who loves us so much that he sent his Son to die for us. That's the kind of dad he is. So today we're going to carry on looking at the Father heart of God. And what we're going to focus on today is how he is a defending, caring, and helping Father. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me to represent you properly here. Protect me from misrepresenting what a wonderful dad you are. I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon us and Open our eyes to how wonderful you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I touched on this at the end of last time, but I'm going to go back there again because it's so important. Psalm 68, verse 5. Psalm 68, verse 5. This is how it describes God. A father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy place. He's a father to the fatherless. That's what God is, a father to the fatherless. Who are the fatherless? It could be someone who's grown up without a dad. I think it could even refer to someone who's grown up with a dad, but their dad just seems absent in the home, and they feel like they don't really have a dad, even though they see him from time to time. could be that your dad abandoned you and you feel fatherless. And this is a wonderful verse to focus on, a father to the fatherless. If you've turned to Jesus Christ, then the father has adopted you. And if you're fatherless, he will replace the gap and he'll give you so much more because he is a wonderful, perfect father. This verse is really important, right? Because if you were abandoned by your dad, or if it seemed like you didn't have a dad when you was growing up, it could be that sometimes you feel as if God isn't present in your life. And it's not really true. But what happens is you're projecting onto God the image of your own father. It's a sin we all do. We try and make God in our own image. And verses like this can really help us. We memorize these verses. We bring them back to mind when we're feeling alone and feeling like God don't care. And then we remind ourselves, he's a father to the fatherless. And like I said last time, he can replace a flesh and blood father. You might find yourself thinking, but this God can't give me a hug. This God can't get me out of debt right now. This God can't protect me from those people or that person. But he can. It's not an oversight on God's part when he made you. And the fact that right now he is sustaining you and keeping you alive means he knows your every need. And it's not like God in any way would be like, oh yeah, I forgot that. You're right, I haven't got real hands, I can't. That's not the case. God has thought these things through and he can be a father to you. But one of the biggest problems for us is getting renewing of the mind, understanding what kind of a dad he is, instead of limiting our relationship with God because we project the idea of our dad onto our heavenly dad. So God is a father to the fatherless. Now let's look at one of the ways that he's a father to the fatherless. Proverbs 23, verses 10 to 11. Proverbs 23, 10 to 11 This is what he says. He says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong and he will take up their case against you. That's what what it says in the Bible. That's like saying today, don't mess with the fence 
of a fatherless person. Don't try and push the fence a few inches in so you get a bigger garden. God's saying, if you do that, I will take care of business because I'm a father to the fatherless. In Deuteronomy 10.18, Deuteronomy 10.18, it says, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Now, alien there is a foreign person living in the land, okay? Got to make that clear, yeah? This is no UFO business in here, okay? Okay, this is the kind of God he is. He defends the cause of the fatherless. Father God defends the fatherless. He defends the fatherless. This is very important if you've grown up thinking that you've got to fend for yourself. If you grew up from day one thinking you've got to take care of business. And now you have a hardness because you think you've got to be so strong and you think no one else will defend you. But the Bible says, Father God will defend you. When I was a boy, I had a football. I had a mitre football, right? And um, I don't think anyone on the estate had a mitre football when I was a kid. When I went out with that ball, everyone wanted it, yeah? And there's me, just a seven-year-old kid with my ball. That was when I was allowed out, when I was seven. And suddenly, the whole of Roehampton would descend on the green uh, where I'd have my football, and everyone would want it. You know, all the older boys come up. Come on, mate, let's have a kick around. And you know you're never going to see that ball again. And I hated it. And I was always like, I want someone to defend me. And you, you try starting something, and then someone says, someone says, I'm going to get my dad. And you're suddenly like, I wish I had a dad that I could get. And you've got a big brother. I wish I had someone to defend me. And I remember when I got my chopper bicycle. Does anyone remember chopper bicycle? Yeah. Yeah. I think mine might be a cheaper one. It might have been called Tomahawk or something. <laughs> but, but I remember I got given that. I got given that by, by someone in the church, which I think is a sign of how God does father the fatherless, often uses the church. And I had that bike, and I was so excited. And then these two boys turn up and they say let's have your bike and you're like no way and then they get a gun out they get a gun out we're all about this tool you know they get a gun out and so I start riding down the hill and they shot at me and my tire my tire exploded right and I went flying over the handlebars landed on the ground bloody nose yeah I don't know what they shot me with yeah I was so young I've no idea it looked like a gun I imagine it was an air gun I don't know how they shot my tire. I don't know if that was a random accident that the tire exploded at the same time. But I remember just feeling, I want someone to protect me. I want someone to defend me. Who's going to defend me? And from that place, there's two responses. One is a sinful response where you say, I'm going to protect myself from now on. That's it. I'm taking care of business. And the other way is to say, I'm going to let my father God protect me. And that's the way you want to go. You want to go to Father God and say, he will protect me. Because if you take it on board yourself to protect yourself, you're going to end up getting a hard heart that gets harder and harder as the years go by. As a kid, I wondered why, I wondered why so many of the girls that as a kid I'd fancied, you know, when you're like seven See a really pretty girl who's like 14. And within a few years, so many of them would just change. Their face would change. And they would get old so quickly. And growing up, I was like, why is this? And I couldn't work it out. It was just recently I started realizing that's the hardness of heart from a poor girl who hasn't been defended by her dad. And she's thought, what can I do? And she's thought, I'm going to defend myself. And there's a hardness that comes with that. And us blokes, we do it as well. And there's a hardness that comes with us that makes it difficult to relate to our kids and to relate to other people the right way because we're trying to defend ourselves. But the message I'm saying today is go to the Father to be defended because Father God defends the fatherless. He says, do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. For their defender is strong, he will take up their case against you. Father God defends the fatherless. Now, he's also a father who will never abandon you. Father God will never abandon you. Check out Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, one thing I was suggesting is you might maybe want to jot down some of these references and then print them out later on a piece of paper and start 
memorizing them or even just reading them each night. Single mums, just a suggestion. One thing you might want to consider is this is what my mum done with me, right? When I was a kid, she got a little photo book, one of these small ones like this, and she wrote, she wrote out Bible verses and slid them into each page. And she gave it to me so I could read it each night. So that each night I was having my mind renewed, learning about what a wonderful heavenly father I had. And that's just a suggestion, something you might want to do or develop it your own way. Joshua 1.5. God says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So this is a promise specifically given to Joshua. But it's not just for Joshua because we see it in Hebrews 13 verse 5. In Hebrews 13 verse 5, we see the same verse used for God's people. So this is an aspect of God's character that is for all of God's people. And it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Wonderful scripture to memorize. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Father God will never abandon you. You might have grown up where your mum had uh, maybe four different boyfriends as you were growing up. And each one you identified with as some kind of father figure. But eventually they drift off somewhere. And you might be projecting that onto God in a sense where you're, in the back of your mind you're thinking that God's going to leave you at some stage. But that's not the case. Scripture tells us here, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. If you trust in Jesus Christ, then God the Father has adopted you and he's never letting go of you. Now, as you hear me say this, you might be worrying about a sin you've done and you might be thinking, yeah, but you don't know about that sin I've done or the sin I'm in right now, so I'm a special case. God will let go of me. You you might be thinking that. But check this out, right? In the Old Testament times, when God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, yeah, he brought them out of Egypt, okay? And what we find out is that when they came out of Egypt, they brought a whole bunch of idols with them. Yeah, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen points out that they brought the tabernacle to Moloch with them. Yeah, now Moloch was the god that you would, you would worship him by getting your children and burning them to death in a fire. So these guys that God saves out of slavery in Egypt, they're like, wow, God's saving us. And then they're like, well, make sure you get the tabernacle, yeah, for Moloch, yeah, so we can worship him when we're out there. So even, that's like, you know, some of you have had that experience where you're like, I've got to get saved today. And you went to church that Sunday. And that would be like going there and at the same time making plans for what you was going to do that very night. That is totally the opposite direction to run into God. And even maybe some of you right now are saying, yeah, right now I'm doing things in my life that are total opposite direction to serving God. God's definitely going to drop me. But this is what the Israelites did, right? And, and check what it says about them in Nehemiah 7 verse 19. Nehemiah 7, sorry, Nehemiah 9 verse 17, it says, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. So not, they took these idols into the wilderness with them, and then Moses goes up on the mountain, and then they're like, let's make an idol and they make an idol straight away and start worshiping them and then later they're like let's go back to Egypt it was better in Egypt just like some of you at the moment are being tempted to go back to Egypt yeah because your past life seems so attractive right now but if I had a time machine yeah I would take you back and I would show you to the times when you was upset when everything gone wrong and show you it weren't really that great was it but the people were thinking that, and so they appoint a leader and say, we're going to go back to Egypt. And at that point, you'd think, yeah, God's going to drop them now. But it's saying there that he didn't because he's forgiving, gracious, and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. 
Therefore, he did not desert them. So, God will never leave you or forsake you. Father God will never abandon you. Now, linked with this is the fact that Father God will never fail you. Father God will never fail you. Psalm 32, verse 10. Psalm 32, verse 10 says, Many are the foes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. God has unfailing love for you. His love never fails. His love is faithful. All of us would have been failed by a human dad, either by the dad never being there in the first place or by the dad just not being the perfect dad that we want. That stands to reason because he's a human being. But Father God isn't like that. Father God is not capable of failing you. He's not actually capable of failing you. It's impossible for God to fail you. It's impossible. You might be clinging to Father God as if it's a rope, as if he's a rope and you're dangling off a cliff and you're holding on to it and thinking, I hope this rope lasts. But that's not what Father God's like. He's like concrete. You can trust in him. He ain't gonna fail you. He won't. And we need to be aware in our minds when we have responses where we treat God as if he might fail us. That's not right. That's making God in our own image. He said he will never fail us. He has unfailing love surrounding us. Father God will never fail us. He can't even lie to us. Father God cannot lie to you. Hebrews 6 verse 18. Hebrews 6 verse 18 says, It is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. If your earthly father or guardian lied to you, you might distrust God's word. Now, you might think you don't distrust God's word. Like if I said to you, do you think the Bible lies? You'd be like, no. But let me give you an example of ways we distrust God's word. If I said to you, check it out, right? You could be out in the street and you could actually see someone in the street and spit in their face and call them all kinds of cuss words. And then you could come from there, okay, and you could say sorry to them, say sorry to God and come in here and put your hands up in the air and worship and be not guilty in God's sight. Now, I'm saying that's true, but I know that's going to strike a nerve because I know you're going to be thinking, no, there's got to be something else. There's got to be some penance somewhere along the line, right? You've got to stay away from church for a few weeks and be crying and read 10 chapters of the Bible a day and fasting and maybe give more money to the church. You know, these are things we do, isn't it? When you've just done some gross sin, now we do hundreds of sins all day long, but when you've done some gross sin that the whole of society is saying that's wrong and you know it's wrong and you're really glad that no one knows you've just done that, sometimes you think, you know what, I, I better talk to God now. But you're like, no, I can't. I'm in the wrong frame of mind. I've got to fix up first. I've got to clean myself up. And each one of us has got some sort of subconscious ritual that we go through when we sin when we're now trying to make ourselves right with God. And then when we're right with God, we think, now I can go to church. Some of us haven't gone to Friday night Bible study before because we've done some sin on Thursday night. And we're thinking, well, I can't, I can't go to Bible study on Friday night. I'll clean myself up a bit first. Did you know that actually what we're doing when we do that is saying that God's word is lying? That's really what we're doing. We're saying that what the Bible says about grace, what the Bible says about there being no condemnation, what the Bible says about being in Christ as opposed to being in Adam, what the Bible says about having Christ's righteousness credited to our account, we're saying, no, that's not true. 
I'm bad and I've got to go through some penance. And what we're doing is saying that God is a liar, even though we haven't actually outright said it in those words. So I only give that illustration. I didn't know I was going to give that illustration, but I give that to show that there's many ways that we can actually say God is a liar. And the remedy for it is to be going to the scriptures and getting our minds renewed and reminding ourselves all these things. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. Now, some of you, though, might be feeling that you've been hurt by God at some time. You might be in a situation where you think, I thought God was telling me to do this one day, and it went horribly wrong. So I feel like God did lie to me. And what I want to say is that God never lies to us. It's impossible for him to lie to us. But we can very easily misunderstand him. Uh, There was a girl I thought I was going to marry years ago. And I thought God was leading me to marry her. And when it didn't work out, I thought God was punishing me. And I thought, oh, God hates me. And it was really hard. I was struggling with it. I was thinking, man, God, God really hates me that he's done this. And um, I w- really what I needed was some good guidance saying, look, God can't lie to you. But you can easily have misunderstood God. We can easily misunderstood God where we get an impression in our mind and we think that's God speaking. And it might be that it wasn't God speaking. It was just an impression in our mind. We can, we can misunderstand God when we misread the Bible. You know, you read something in the Bible and you're not aware of what the culture was in those days or of what the language was in those days. Like when Jesus says, woman. And you're thinking, that's a bit raw. But, but not understanding how Jesus would have sounded back in those days. Yeah. And um, translations, we can misunderstand translations, yeah? Um, Suffer the children. Yeah, some people think that means beat your kids to get them to go to church. But it doesn't doesn't mean that, okay? That's old English and it doesn't mean that. It means something different. It means let the children come to Jesus. Don't stop them coming to Jesus. Um, That good one, uh, somewhere in the King James where it says, um, the word of the Lord was scarce. Well, we read that and think, wow, no one heard the word of the Lord. That word don't mean that anymore. That word means the word of the Lord was precious. So we misunderstand God all the time. And then when things don't work out, we think, ah, God's done something funny here. But really, it's just us. We've misunderstood his word. We've misunderstood thoughts and feelings in our head that we thought meant a certain thing. Father God cannot lie to you. He cannot lie to you. And he wouldn't want to lie to you because he's so compassionate. Father God is compassionate. Psalm 103 verse 13. Psalm 103 verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Judges 2, 18. Judges 2.18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. So he's the kind of father that when he sees his people in trouble, he has compassion for them. And he says, I'm going to help them. I've got compassion for my people. I'm going to help them. He is not a stone-cold, emotionless father. If you never felt love from your dad, maybe you never even had a hug from your dad, that's not what Father God is like. He's not emotionless. He's not stone-cold. He's compassionate. Now, when I say he's not emotionless, I have to clarify that because I also want to make it clear, God is not driven or controlled by emotions. He doesn't have emotions that run away with him. 
He doesn't have emotions that lead him to do things he didn't intend on doing. That's why some people like to describe God as without passion. But that's really old English and I don't think it's helpful because then people think God don't have any emotions. And the Bible clearly refers to emotions. And if you want to know about godly emotions, go on newlifelondon.com. We've got a teaching there on godly affections. Father God is compassionate. He's the kind of dad that if he is one of his kids crying, he comes running down the stairs and helps his child. And because he's compassionate, he heals us of our hurts. Father God heals us of our hurts. Psalm 34, 18. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're brokenhearted today, and you're in Christ, then God the Father is close to you. If you feel crushed, he's close to you, and he will save you. Psalm 147, verses 2 to 3. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He heals us, and he binds up our wounds. He gets the bandages, and he brings healing to us. Jeremiah 31, 13. Then maidens will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. You might be going through sorrow in your life right now. There is going to be joy and dancing coming later. And it's a promise that you want to cling on to. And we don't know how much of that we see in this life. Okay, Jesus Christ at the cross has paid for the healing of all his people. That is spiritual healing and it's also physical healing. Okay, But here's the thing. Right now we're living in the, the time where the kingdom's already come, but in a sense the kingdom's not yet. Jesus broke into human history, brought the kingdom, but we're waiting for the kingdom to be consummated at the end. We're waiting for the kingdom to be perfected when Christ comes back. And now we live in this funny time between two ages where we're living in an overlap of the old age and the new age, and we're living in this overlapping time in the middle here, which means that we know that our healing's been paid for by Christ on the cross, but we don't know how much of that we're going to receive in this life. We know we're going to get resurrected bodies at the end. We know that at the end, when we're living with God as his people under his rule in his place for all eternity, we know there's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no sorrow. But we don't know how much of that each individual of us is going to enjoy in this life. But we know it's there. But we're not guaranteed how much we're going to get. So right now we live in this funny time where we can say, I know life is hard, but I know Christ has paid for my healing on the cross. I know Father God is a healing God. I know he's going to be healing me now in the process of sanctification as we get changed from one degree of glory to the other, as Corinthians says. But I also know it's not going to be fully perfected until the end. So I'm just going to cling hold to these promises that there will be a time of dancing and rejoicing. Maybe it's going to be next week. Maybe it's going to be next year. Maybe I'm going to see a little bit of it next year, but I know I'm going to see all of it at the very end. I know I will. And cling to that promise, knowing that Father God heals us of our hurts. Lamentations 3, verses 32 to 33 says, Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. Notice that acknowledges that God does bring grief into your life. And some of you are thinking, why has God given me grief in my life? It says he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. He brings grief into your life, but he doesn't do it willingly. Now, I know that sounds hard to understand. The way it's quite easily explained, I think, is in talking about the two wills of God. That sounds strange the first time you hear it. So let me talk about the two wheels of Duncan, okay? When I need to discipline one of my children, I have a will that says, I don't want to see my kids sad now. 
I know when I discipline them, they're going to be sad. But I also have a will that says, I know I need to discipline them because I actually know that I'm loving them by disciplining them and I don't want to grow up never being disciplined because that's going to lead to a bad way. So I have two wills where on the one hand I'm thinking, I don't want to bring grief into their life. On the other hand, I'm saying, I need to bring grief into their life. They need it. Same way God has two wills where he says, I'm going to bring grief into your life. He wills for that to happen. But at the same time, he's like, but I don't want you to have grief. Think about the cross. God, in one sense, did not will for Jesus to be killed. We know that because he says, don't murder. Okay, so in one sense, he doesn't will that Jesus be killed. In another sense, he does. He wills it because that way he's going to save all of us and glorify the son. Same thing with Churchill back in World War II. You know, when they cracked the Enigma code, they cracked the Enigma code, but the Germans didn't know they cracked it. So Churchill, the prime minister, gets information saying, because they cracked the code, saying they're going to bomb Coventry. What does he do? If they evacuate Coventry, the Germans will know they've cracked the Enigma code. If the Germans find that out, can we win the war? Winston Churchill had two wills. He had one will that said, I want to save the people of Coventry. I don't want them to be bombed. He had another will that said, I want to save England and Europe and the world from Nazism. So I'm going to let Coventry be bombed so that the Germans don't find out we know their code and then we're going to win the war. So he didn't tell the people at Coventry and they were bombed. Churchill had two wills. I have two wills. God, in a sense, has two wills. So if you have got grief in your life that God has brought into your life, there's a purpose for that. There's a good purpose for it. It's hard to see at the moment. But at the same time, you need to understand that God is also saying, I don't will that you go through this. This hurts me to see you go through this as well, just like it did with my son at the cross. Now, here's an important thing about Father God healing us of our hurts. Some of us can resist the healing of Father God. Some of us can resist it, okay? When I was a boy, I didn't, when I was free, I didn't see my dad for a year. Um, I hadn't seen him much anyway, but for a whole year I didn't see him. And then he turned up on my estate on the green at the bottom of my block. And uh, my mum says that I was paralyzed. I just couldn't move. I froze. He tried to hug me. And apparently I, I was just like that, and I couldn't move. And I'm no psychologist. I would, guess, I would guess that I was refusing the love that he was trying to give me then, or trying to refuse the healing that I could receive from that hug. I don't ever remember being hugged by my dad. That's not to say he hasn't hugged me. I just don't ever remember it. Maybe that was my opportunity to have a hug, and I refused it. In the same way, we often refuse the healing that Father God is offering to us because of our hard hearts. And sometimes because we go to other places to get healing, we can go to drugs, we can go to sex, we can go to a whole heap of things to get healing from anyone else but Father God. We can go to psychologists to get help from Father God. But the thing with the psychologists, and some of you are studying psychology now, the thing with psychologists is you'll see all the different schools of thought don't agree there's no common denominator. There's a lot of people who've done really good research observing people. And it's good. They've done good research. They've observed this is how people respond with such and such a situation. And they start trying to join the dots, but they don't have enough information to properly join the dots, which is why they all come up with different answers of how to help people. Well, we got the Bible, so we can join the dots. And we can look at the information they give us about how people respond to bad parents, and we can say, okay, I can see that. And then we can say, well, that's because of this. And we can say, well, the healing for that is not picturing your dad sitting in a chair opposite you. It's not picturing God sitting opposite you saying sorry to you, which is totally heretical and sinful. It's not that. Instead, it's getting your healing from Father God. Getting your healing from him, not from the psychologists, even though they may be able to help you with some things, but ultimately getting your healing from Father God. Now, if you're going through your life right now and thinking, yeah, but I've tried to get healing from God and I haven't received it yet, 
I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that there is healing, okay? Many years ago, I would be late at night, outside on the street, shouting out, Why? And I didn't understand why things had happened in my life, and I didn't understand why God hadn't healed me. And I was with a group of people where every problem was solved by laying on our hands. So, if someone here has got a problem tonight, oh, yeah, that's me, great. So you go up the front, you say, yeah, I'm really hurt by this, this and that. They put, lay hands on you, pray for you, nothing wrong with that. They pray for you, and you walk away, and you realize you're still the same. And you're like, I'm still really hurt by this thing. But you're embarrassed to tell the people at church that you're still hurting in this thing because then you'll think, then they will think you're not a proper Christian. And they tell you it's because there's some sin in your life or you don't have enough faith. And so what I want to encourage you with is the fact that this healing thing is a process. It's a process. And that's why I was saying yesterday, two weeks ago, like this Father Heart of God stuff isn't a magic thing. Don't think you have one sermon on it and suddenly you're like, wow, my life's changed. Now, if that does happen, praise God. But it's a process of sanctification that goes on throughout your whole life and there's a process of healing. And I can testify that God has brought a lot of healing into my life and I'm still looking for a lot more healing until the day that I've been given my new body. So don't be discouraged if you feel like you're not getting enough healing right now. It's a process and it takes time. But be meditating on these scriptures, seeing what Father God is like. So, Father God heals us of our hurts. What he also does is Father God listens to us. Father God listens to us. Psalm 3 verse 4. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. Father God listens to you. He listens to you. If you grew up with a dad who you thought didn't listen to you, a dad you never cried out to or never got a response from, you need to know that Father God listens to you. And that is an amazing thing. Why Father God would listen to me I, I do not know. I'm insignificant. I'm nothing. And yet, every second of the day, he is listening to me. And it's not like when my kids cry out in the night and I wake up and eventually I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, and then go in the bedroom to see what's wrong. It's not like that. It's like God, every second, every minute of the day is attentively listening to you. How many seconds of those days are we talking to him? He's there the whole time listening to us. So cry out to him and believe that he will answer you. He might not answer you the way you want him to, but he will answer you. He cannot lie. There's a girl, I don't know, this is a true story. It's a preacher story, so you know, who knows. Uh, there's a girl, right, who... who um, asked her dad for roller skates for a present. So he got her roller skates, but they weren't the ones she wanted. She wanted the really fast roller skates, okay? And she's like, I really want the fast roller skates. And the dad was like, no, they're too fast for you. But in the end, he gave in and he gave her the fast roller skates. And she skated down the road and they were so fast she couldn't stop. And she went into the road and was killed by a car. She wanted the roller skates, but the dad didn't want to give them to her because he knew it wasn't the right thing for her. And the dad gave in in the end and she died. Now our father in heaven won't give us those roller skates that we're asking for. And we're thinking, oh, why don't he give me the roller skates? And he's saying, because you'll die. So he will answer our prayers, but not always how we want. But Father God does listen to you. Right, let me sum this up now. God is a father to the fatherless. He defends the fatherless. He'll never abandon you. He'll never fail you. He cannot lie to you. He's compassionate. He will heal you of your hurts. And he listens to you. Now, this wonderful father, okay, this wonderful father who has a wonderful relationship with his children, there's only one way to come into this relationship. 
There's only one way to come into this relationship, okay? And it's not directly to the Father. It's through Jesus Christ. Father God sent his son to live a perfect life in our place and to die our death in our place so that we could be adopted as the Father's sons and be brothers of Jesus. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. Turning to Jesus Christ, turning from your sin and putting faith in Jesus. And that faith can mean three things. On one level, when we say faith, we're saying believing that is true, believing that Jesus Christ died and rose again. But we've also got to have something that the posh word is assent, where we're actually saying, and I like that. I like that. I'm feeling that. I know I need that. That's good. So it's not just knowledge. There's also a scent where you're saying, yeah, I'm feeling that. But the third thing as well, the third element of faith is trust, where you're also saying, and I'm trusting in that. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. I put my faith into Jesus Christ. I took my faith off myself to save myself or off anything else and I put it into Jesus and I said, I'm trusting in Jesus to save me. That is the way into this wonderful relationship with the Father. And if you've done that, then I'd encourage you to spend time with your heavenly Father. We're so rubbish at this. Let's spend more time with our Heavenly Father. Let's meditate on these scriptures. Let's tell people about them. Let's spend time reading our Bibles and praying, fellowshipping with other Christians, getting to know our Heavenly Father better, getting those misconceptions corrected. The devil wants you to think that Father God is not interested in you. And maybe you've been listening to him for too long or listening to the world for too long. You've got to get tuned into scripture, see what the Father's saying. Now, if as you've been listening to this Father Heart of Stuff stuff, you've been thinking, well, my dad hasn't been good to me, I would encourage you to forgive your father just as God has forgiven you. Forgive your father. It's wrong to accept forgiveness from God and then be bearing a grudge against other people. It's hypocritical. It brings a lot of bitterness in your life and a lot of hardness. It doesn't help. A lot of alcohol and drug addiction problems can be linked to family problems. I'm not saying the family is to blame. We're all to blame for our own sin. But it's interesting how often there is a link with family problems. We need to be forgiving our families. And we need to look to God the Father for our needs. So if you keep looking to your earthly dad, thinking, I want him to love me as a dad. You know what? He might never be able to do that. He might not have the resources to do that and you're going to keep on getting disappointed as your expectations get dashed but what you can do instead is put your expectations in God the father for him to father you and then say you know what I'm going to forgive my earthly dad I'm going to forgive him I'm going to treat him with respect and honor him as the bible says but I'm not going to expect that fatherly love from him because I know he's not able to do it what I'm going to do I'm going to get that fatherly love from God the father And who knows, through that, you might find, you might find, it's not a promise in scripture, but you might find your relationship with your father might improve. Now, a message to dads. Some of you have sat here wincing, thinking, I'm failing my kids this way. So I'd encourage you to ask God for forgiveness and to realize there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. There's no condemnation. Okay, so the idea today is not to condemn you, making you feel like a bad dad. If it's highlighted any sin in your life, like it has in my life, as I've been preparing it, thinking what a rubbish dad I am, you know, like um, the bit about we'll always listen to you. I don't always do that with my family. You know, I did that this morning with my wife. She asked me a question as I was going up the stairs, and I didn't answer. I know I'm not the only bloke who does that. You know why? Because I'm just tired, and I'm just walking up the stairs thinking I'm tired. You know, I'm just not going to answer. You know? And then... Getting convicted and thinking, that's wrong. God's not like that. And so they went and said, sorry for not answering. So, you know, we do that. And the the thing to do then is to repent of it and ask God for forgiveness and to know that there's no condemnation because Jesus Christ 
took the condemnation on the cross. But the other thing to do then, you dads, is to spend more time with your heavenly father. Spend more time getting to know him and it will rub off on you and hopefully we will all be better dads with our kids. And to ask God for the grace to be better dads and to teach our kids what a dad is so they understand God the father better. Now for mums, if you feel on your own, don't feel that you need to replace the gap that their dad has left. You can't be a dad. You're a mum. Be a mum. You don't have to be hard. You don't have to take the place of a dad. But what you can do is a suggestion. You can show your child what a wonderful heavenly father there is. You could do that thing I suggested with the memory verses, and they read it each day or whatever. You know, teach your kids who don't have a dad about what a wonderful dad God is. Let's pray. Dad, I thank you for how good you are to us. We are such terrible people and you have been so loving to us and you continue to be so loving and kind to us. I pray that you would forgive us for our sinful responses to you where we make you in our own image and we don't treat you as the wonderful dad that you are. Help us to respond to you better. Thank you for the way that you've made clear through Jesus Christ your son. And for us dads, I pray that you would forgive us for how we haven't fathered our kids right. Help us to be better dads. I pray, God, that you bring healing to us in this room. Heal us of the things that have been hurting us. I pray that you strengthen the mums in this church. Pray especially that you strengthen single mums to show their children what a wonderful dad you are. Pray that you be renewing our minds. Thank you that you're changing us from one degree of glory to the next. Jesus, we thank you for being the obedient son who came to the earth, lived a righteous life in our place and died in our place. Thank you for bringing us into this wonderful relationship with you and with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for paying a price for our sins. Holy Spirit, thank you for changing us. Thank you for the process of sanctification in our life. And I pray that that would continue in all of us, that you bring it to completion one day. In Jesus' name.